since this is the Sunday of the baptism of our Lord, I can't uh, resist the temptation to go to the epistle lesson, the sermons on the gospel, but let's begin with the epistle reading this morning on page seven. That's from Romans chapter six, and we'll begin at verse three. Scripture speaks in the most amazing ways about baptism. The world may not speak that way about baptism. Uh, Some Christians may not speak that way about baptism, but the scripture does. And so it pays dividends for us to pay attention to it. Verse three, do you not know, Paul writes, apparently some don't, that all of us who have been baptized, not just some of us now, but all of us, this means you, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that is to say we've been baptized not into something, but into someone, the Savior himself. That we were baptized into his death. Baptism, don't ask me how, but baptism somehow places you into the saving death of Jesus. And not just that. Verse four, we were buried therefore with him. How? By baptism into death. See, that's the testimony of scripture. In baptism, you participate in the death of Christ, in the burial of Christ. This is his saving work now. And that's not all. In order that, verse four, just as Christ was raised from the dead, now we're talking resurrection, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is a new life that comes about as a result of your baptism. Uh, Yeah, I know the old life is still there. We, We see that in you and you see that in me. It's still there. We're simultaneously saint and sinner. But there's a new life there that is beyond the reach of death that death can't touch. That's the testimony of scripture about baptism, God's work in baptism. And notice verse five, for if we've been united with him, when did that uniting take place? In your baptism, that's the context here. In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We live a resurrection life already, but that resurrection life will come to completion when the body is raised, the spirit's been raised, but when the body is raised, the resurrection work is completed. Just a few comments about what God's word has to say about baptism, and I, I mentioned that because false teaching, um, like, you know, like, like water trying to seep into a basement, <laughs> water will find a way into the basement, one way or another it's gonna come, right? And, and false teaching is no different. And we always have to be aware of that and, and hear scripture, hear scripture. We bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, bless your word to our hearts this day and every day. May we live, walk, and be, exist in that word daily. Through Jesus Christ we pray, amen. Okay, so on page eight now, your sermon text, we're looking at verses 21 and 22 this morning. That's, that's one kind of long sentence. And uh, I mean, 
what's above there is important too, but we're gonna focus on the last two verses, which is one long sentence. And so here's a little exercise, all right? The question is, what's the main point of the sentence? What's the main point, all right? So we're gonna go clause by clause, and I want you to raise your hand when you think the main point, when we've come to the main point, okay? So verse 21, now when all the people were baptized, is that the main point? Anybody raising a hand? Okay, it's not the main point because it's a subordinate clause. It's a dependent clause. That means there may be a subject and a verb there, and there, there is, but it doesn't stand by itself. It doesn't make sense by itself. It needs something to complete it, so it's a dependent clause, a subordinate clause. That's not the main point. And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, is that the main point of the sentence? I don't see any hands. Maybe you're just shy. But no, that's a dependent clause. It's a subordinate clause. Here in, in, in Luke's understanding of Jesus' baptism, he's not emphasizing the baptism of Jesus. He's emphasizing something else. This is a subordinate clause. It's, it doesn't stand by itself. It's dependent on something else. The heavens were opened. Paul has his hand up. Is that the main point? Yeah, it's the main point. That's the main, that's, that is a independent clause. It's, it's a main clause. It has a subject and a verb, and it stands alone by itself. You could just write that. The heavens were opened. That makes sense. But that's not all. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form. Is that a main point? It is. It's a standalone, independent clause. It's a, it's a main clause. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. Is that a main point? It is. Yeah, it's a standalone clause that makes sense all by itself. So, all four Gospels mention the baptism of our Lord, but Luke places the baptism, he chooses to place the baptism, even though it's very important, he places it in a subordinate clause because he wants to emphasize what follows the baptism, which is the opening of heaven and its consequences. So that's what we're looking at today from Luke's perspective. So Roman numeral one on page nine of your bulletin we're going to talk about heaven. Heaven is God's house. It's God's dwelling, right? You know, we pray, our Father who art in heaven. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. This is the dwelling place of God, heaven. But it's also the source of revelation about God. Jesus said to Peter, when Peter confessed him as the Christ, he said, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? And St. Paul writes in Romans 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, just like the grace of God is revealed from heaven. So it's the place of revelation, the source of revelation. Roman numeral two, heaven 
determines earth. Heaven determines earth. Uh, Solomon wrote in Proverbs, and these verses are all over Proverbs, verses like this. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. And I like the way James puts it in his letter. Uh, rather than thinking, we're going to go do this, we're going to go do that. If the, we should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from heaven. It's another way of saying God, okay. Uh, The Jews like to avoid saying the word God for fear they would misuse his name in some way. So they would often speak of heaven as, as God. And we're doing a little bit of that today too, just kind of following their lead. That is to say, whatever happens in heaven, whatever is said in heaven, determines what happens on the earth. That's the scriptural view of the two, heaven and earth. Heaven determines what happens here. And, and you know, it's part of the binaries of, of the creation account. When you, when you read Genesis 1, there's heaven and earth, there's, there's light and darkness, there's day and night, these binaries. You know, there's male and female, right? Uh, heaven and earth exist together, and heaven determines earth. So letter A, man lives under heaven as a passive recipient. We are passive recipients of what heaven gives, what God gives from heaven. John the Baptist said, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him from heaven we are, we are dependent creatures, right? We're conditional creatures. We depend on everything from God, including our daily bread. Give us our daily bread. So life on earth cannot exist, and it cannot continue without the permissive will of heaven. That's true for all of us. And letter B, the closing of heaven is not just a tragedy. It's certainly that. The closing of heaven is a judgment upon sin. It's a judgment upon sin. You see this throughout scripture. Uh, I quote uh, Leviticus 26, 19. When, When the people turn away from the Lord, this is the consequence now. Quote, God says, I will break your stubborn pride and I will make your sky, maybe not the sky of the Gentiles, but I will make your sky like iron, stopping the rain and other blessings from coming down and blocking your prayers going up. The sky becomes like iron and your ground like bronze. I think bronze would be pretty hard to plow. So when God closes heaven, it's time to repent, right? Because, I mean, your days are numbered if heaven doesn't open back up. And let her see the opening of heaven is life and salvation. The closing of heaven is death. You know, um, it's just a matter of time. Death occurs. The opening of heaven is life and salvation. Uh, through the prophet Malachi. 
you know, God, the people were holding back from God what was God's due, and not just in terms of their offerings, but their praise, their thanks, and their, their devotion. Um, and so God said, look, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you that there will not be room enough to store it. See, the opening of heaven is life, it is salvation. Roman numeral three, heaven is always open. I italicize that, always open over Jesus. It's always open over Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, heaven's open. I say always because Jesus is the always refuge for sinners. Not just the sometimes refuge for sinners, but the always refuge for sinners. And I like the way Mark records the baptism of Jesus in his gospel, his perspective on it. He writes that the heavens were ripped open, just torn open, gashed open. And it, it's sort of like the curtain in the temple when, when our Lord died on Good Friday, the curtain in the temple separating the holy place from the most holy place was ripped, it was torn in two from top to bottom, meaning a divine action. It wasn't somebody walked up and did that. God himself removed the separation between himself and sinners like us. And so the idea is that heaven is open beyond the point of repair. It's a permanent gash, a rip that can't be mended. And it's God's doing. It's God's doing. And every, every sinner needs to know that. Heaven is open for you. I'll say more about that in a moment. But, you know, this, this reflects what our Lord said in John chapter 1 when he said to Nathanael, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God going up and going down on the Son of Man. And what is he reminding us of? He's reminding us of Genesis 28, way back in Genesis, where Jacob had this dream and he saw a ladder extending from heaven to earth and the angels going up and down on it or a stairway however you want to picture it and the Lord stood above it this, this opening in heaven and Jesus applies that imagery to himself he says you'll see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on me you see and, and Jacob was so struck by this vision that he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it, okay? I, I thought that the Lord was confined to my little family group, our personal God, but no, he's here as well in this strange place. The Lord is in this place and I, I was not aware of it. And then he said, surely this is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Letter A, Jesus is Bethel. He's the house or the temple of God. And that leads into the gospel reading, I believe, for next Sunday, 
where Jesus says, destroy this temple, speaking of his body, and in three days I'll raise it up. He's the true temple of God. That thing in Jerusalem is just a, a symbol of him, a pointer to him. And then letter B, he's the gate of heaven. He's the door, and, and Jesus emphasized, he applies that imagery to himself in John 10. I'm the gate or the door. If, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and find pasture. Go out and go in and find pasture. He's the door for the sheep, the gate. So at the baptism of our Lord, heaven is ripped open, irreparably opened, never to be shut again. And through this gracious gash in the universe, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon all flesh. He pours out the forgiveness of sins upon all people. And he grants us a new life that's beyond the reach of death, as I said earlier. You know, this mortal life is subject to death. It always will be subject to death. But he gives us a new life beyond the reach of death that death can't touch. And this brings us to now, what do we do with this knowledge? Why is it given to us? Roman numeral four, now we're gonna talk about the office of the keys. Because the keys open heaven or lock heaven, depending on where you're at spiritually, okay. Roman numeral four, heaven's keys are given to us, meaning the church. The keys are given to the church, not just to pastors, or bishops, but to the church. Now, Jesus said in Matthew 16, this is to Peter, he said, I will give you the keys, speaking in the singular, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. The keys are given to Peter, you see. But that's not all. I give you Matthew 18, 18, it's recorded there for you, where Jesus says the same thing to all the disciples. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth, now notice the tense here, it's a perfect uh, passive tense in the Greek, shall have been bound in heaven, meaning it's already been done in heaven. It's already been done. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. Now, here's how the keys work. I exercise the keys publicly on behalf of the congregation. You exercise the same keys privately in your life at home or at work or in your extended family, your acquaintances. You bind, you lose. You speak what God has already said in heaven. In other words, you deliver the reality to them through your words. And what does it mean to bind? Whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. To bind means that that individual's sins are retained. They stick to them. They're not loosed from them. They're not forgiven as long as they do not repent. Their sins are retained by God in heaven. 
And we're called to speak that word when we must. Whatever you loose on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. We're the messengers bringing God's reality to the individual that when they are repentant and believing the gospel, we cannot withhold God's forgiveness. It's already been spoken in heaven. We must deliver that. This is how the keys are applied. And and we say the keys are the preaching of the gospel, the administration of baptism, the administration of the Lord's Supper, and private confession and forgiveness. Because the promise of forgiveness is attached to all of those events. The promise of forgiveness is attached to all of those actions of God. Preaching, baptizing, communing, and private confession and forgiveness. The goods are delivered, heaven's opened. God's gifts rain down upon the penitent sinner. So I administer keys publicly on your behalf, you administer keys privately in your daily lives. That means we should be forgiving one another or warning one another that we need to repent. To the penitent person, we say, heaven's opened to you. You are forgiven by the grace of God in Christ. I want you to know that. To the impenitent, to someone who was not repenting of their sins and is going to continue and continue in their sins no matter what, we need to say to them, out of love, heaven's closed to you right now. It's closed to you. Do you want to live that way? Do you want to die that way? Please don't. Hear the word of the Lord. Heaven is closed to you as long as you do not repent. Now, that may sound confusing because a moment ago I said heaven's always open under Jesus, right? And it's true, it is. But when you're impenitent, when you refuse to turn from your sins, you've moved away from Jesus. You've gone to somewhere, to a place where heaven's closed. And you you need to know that. You need to be aware of that. When you refuse to repent, you've moved away from open heaven to a a closed heaven location. And in the words of God, um, Leviticus 26, your sky has become iron, your ground bronze, nothing's coming down in the way of blessing and prayers are not going up anymore. Now, it's hard to speak that word to someone, but it's a necessary word to speak. I would hope that when I'm in that condition, someone would have the moxie to say it to me. Because that is God's way of moving us to repentance. That's God's way of waking us up to the reality that we've placed ourselves in. And the whole point of that is to bring us back to the good news. The whole point is to to bring the individual back to the Lord Jesus Christ where heaven is open because we proclaim that under this man, heaven is open. Under this man, God's gifts rain down and forgiveness flows. 
Jesus is God's always refuge for sinners. Sinners who know they need what he has to give. No matter where they've been or what they've done, he is God's always refuge for the sinful. And he's God's only refuge for sinners. Because wherever Jesus is, heaven is always open. Wherever Jesus is, heaven is never shut. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus' 